0: This morning we are going to be in Philippians chapter 2, uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, I'm sorry, I am not going to be in Genesis. Uh, I know Pastor Lowell has been, has been working through uh, the book of Genesis, starting at the beginning and dealing with beginnings and stuff like that, and that's not where we're going to be today. Uh, I will be thoroughly impressed if you are able to fill in the worship notes. Uh, especially if it has anything to do with what I'm talking about, because those are Pastor Brent's worship notes. Not at all what I'm going to this morning. Um, but God laid Philippians chapter 2 on my heart when Pastor Brent called me, and, and uh, I appreciate Billy and John's remarks, and we do want to continue to pray for uh, Pastor Brent as we go through out these next few days, and just keep him in your prayers. Today I'd like to talk about the concept of humility. Humility. I want us to, to take some time this morning and be able to uh, focus on who we are and on who God is and realize the impact that he has in our lives and, and um, see what he is or who he is and, and how our lives are changed because of him. Pastor Billy asked you this morning, what is something you feel equipped to do? Something you feel equipped to do. I was thinking about the whole concept of, of equipped, and, and one of the things that, that I really like to do, and I feel fairly well equipped to do, is I like the idea, uh, the concept, and I feel equipped to coach soccer. Um, now, I will say it's only to a very limited level. I can only bring people like Cole Stoddard to a given point, and uh, that's, that's all I can do. But uh, I, I feel equipped to coach soccer. And it's something that I really like. But one of the things that I've noticed in, in my equipping and, or being equipped and, and being able to do this, a large concept that goes around, surrounds things that we feel really equipped to do, there is a physical aspect to it, but a large portion of us being equipped for something is mental. A lot of it is mental. It is do I have a desire for something? Do I like to learn about it? Do I, do I love it? Am I, is it something that I'm gonna sink my head into? Because if the only thing that I'm gonna do with things is physical, I'm gonna get to a very limited point and then I'm no longer gonna be very good at it. I noticed that actually when I coach soccer players. Uh, I coach. I coach at Faith Christian Academy, and um, uh, we'll get some players who have very good physical talent, but they they don't they don't invest their mind into the game. They don't they don't love the game. They don't they don't think about it. They don't learn more about it. They don't they don't like to commit what's up here. They commit neck down. Not all of them. And in that, they reach a given point where they no longer progress and and are able to do the things that they need to do. And I think that concept broadens itself to what we're going to see this morning and the ideas that we're going to look at today in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 actually tells us that we are equipped to live the Christian life. That's what the book of Philippians tells us about Paul writes to the church at Philippi while he is in prison. He writes to them and he explains to them how they are equipped to live the Christian life. As believers, we are equipped to live the Christian life in a way that will bring honor and glory to God. We are equipped to. But, we have some responsibilities in that. We have some pieces that we have to do, and it focuses then on what have we done with all the tools and equipping that we've been given. So let's jump into this and take a look at the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read a little bit and then we'll talk about it, and we're just going to work through these 11 verses. Starting in verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ... "...if any comfort and love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy." I'm going to pause just for a second there. He uses the word if like four times in that section. And if is typically something that we would consider conditional. So if this happens, then this will happen. More realistically, this word could probably and probably should be translated since. This is not a conditional concept this is a since this has happened meaning this has happened and it's stuff that has happened to us as believers from God at the point when we are saved so it isn't if it happens to you it is i'm telling you it's happened to you you were saved and because you were saved these things happened number 1 you find consolation in Christ or in consolation encouragement you, find, you can find encouragement in Jesus Christ. By the way, that encouragement that you find in Jesus Christ equips you to live a godly Christian life. You can find c- encouragement other places. You can talk to people, and we're told to encourage one another. But it is not the same as the encouragement that you find in Jesus Christ. Number two, he says, if there's any comfort in love, That love there is not a reference to human being to human being. That love is a reference to God to us. Isn't it comforting the fact that God loves you? Talk about an equipping that you now have. You know that the being that created all of this and you loves you. There's great comfort in that. If you have any fellowship of the Spirit, we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. What a great thing to meditate on. The idea that God gave us Himself to have fellowship with. That He cares enough, which by the way, this goes to the comfort from His love, That He cares enough about you, He loves you enough to give you Himself to have fellowship with. As a believer, you realize you should never be lonely. Because you're you're not alone. You have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And then He says, if there's any affection and mercy. Again, these are things... These are pieces, things that God is giving you. Affection. God gives you affection. God gives you mercy. And all of these things work at equipping us to live in a way that will glorify God. To live the Christian life the way we ought to. And so he says, since you have all of this stuff, since all of these things are true about you, here are some things that I want you to progress on in them. So, this is true... Here's where we're going to go. So let's take a look at verses 2 through 4. He says, first of all, I want you to fulfill my joy or complete my joy. And the way I want you to complete my joy or bring great joy to me, finish it off, is I want you by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. You know what Paul wants of the Philippian believers? And I believe he would say he wants this of the believers at Centerpoint Bible Church and the believers all around the world. He wants them to be unified. He wants them to be united. He wants them to all work for the same purpose. Look, look at how many things he said in that one verse alone that shows that he wants them together. I want you to be like-minded. I want you to have the same love. I want you to be of one accord, of one mind. Just out of curiosity, of all those things that I just said, how many of them work from neck down and how many of them are more of a neck up type concept? They're all neck up, right? It's, it's all not something that I'm going out necessarily to do, but that our minds are linked together. That we're united. We're unified. As a group of believers, because of what Christ has done in me, because of the comfort that I see in His love and the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit and all of those things, our goal should be the same. Our focus. Our purpose. We are unified working together with one another. And he moves on from there in verse 3 he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than himself." And I think in verse 3, and then he, he hits again in verse 4, I believe he gets into why we struggle with verse 2. So verse 2 says, I want you to be unified. I want you to be united. Here's why you're going to struggle with that. Because some of you are going to do things out of selfish ambition and conceit. And some of you are not going to have the lowliness of mind that esteems others better than themselves. Some of you are going to struggle with the concept of humility. Now, I keep saying the word some, phrase some of you, but if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we should change that probably to all of us. We're going to struggle with this portion we're going to struggle with this idea, and this idea is, I struggle with pride, and I struggle to grasp the humility that I'm supposed to have. I heard a, a definition of humility that I, that I like, and I don't know, it's not really dictionary.com, but it's it, a, a concept of humility that I, I really like, and that is, humility is not thinking less of yourself, humility is thinking of yourself less. So in humility, it's not me beating myself down and demeaning myself. It's just me not thinking about me. But if I'm not thinking about me, then where are my thoughts going to go? To everyone else, to others. So if humility is me thinking about myself less and pride is the opposite of humility, then pride must be me thinking about me. Pride is the fact that I focus on me. That sentence in and of itself is prideful. I focus on me. The tough thing about pride is that it's natural. In our sin nature, pride is natural. If you don't believe that, hold a conversation with a five-year-old. Really, Take a little child sometime and pull them aside and talk to them a little bit. Guess who they're going to talk about? Themselves. And you can talk about other things, and you can try to turn the conversation someplace else, and guess where they're going to turn it right back to? Themselves. Unfortunately, I could probably say, hold a conversation with any 15-year-old, or hold a conversation with any 25-year-old or 35-year-old or 45-year-old or 55-year-old, and what we're going to realize is this. You might stray them away for a little while, but after a while, they're looping back to them. And maybe some of us have gotten good at uh, not letting it come out of our mouths, but up in here we run around with it about ourselves. You know what I'm talking about. You might not want to admit it, but you know what I'm talking about. Like, for example, you go into work, and there's a memo, you get an email memo that says, by the way, for this week, uh, such and such bathroom is going to be closed because they're remodeling it. What is your first thought? How that inconveniences you. Right? That's, That's exactly where you go. You don't think about anything else except for some of it might be like I don't ever use that bathroom but boy I like walking by there I mean I can't believe they're going to shut this down you know like it's it's crazy like we will hear something and the first thing we do with what we hear is how does that impact me that's pride that's pride and I'm going to tell you I'm not saying it's okay but I want you to understand in our sin nature that's what we do that's just what we do We turn it to us. And Paul is telling the Philippians here that it will fulfill or complete his joy if they can figure out a way to be unified, together, united. But the only way that that can happen is if people don't do things out of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition just means, I do it for me to get the glory. I want, I want the attention. I want the focus. But unity is destroyed in this concept because of how difficult it is for us to get to the idea of humility and to think about others. And then he goes on he says, Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let's see others better than us. That's so hard, though, because I'm so great. Right? I mean, and, and the, the difficulty is it's, it's hard for us to look past ourselves and to be concerned about others. He even goes on in the very next verse. He says, Let each of you look not only on your own interests, but on the interests of others. He, in essence, repeats himself here and says, This is a big deal. This is a big deal. I would capitalize this if I could. Please understand. You cannot be unified. You cannot fulfill what I've equipped you to do. You cannot work in the same purpose like I want you to if you are concerned about you. You just can't do it. It doesn't work that way. I need you to be humble. I need you to think about others. I need you to have your focus on others. And so not only does he tell us what he's doing, what he's given us to equip us, and not only does he then tell us what the potential problem is, but Jesus then, or Paul then, goes on to say, let me give you an example. So you might say, okay, I, I get it, but how am I supposed to do it? Has anyone ever really done this? And so he gives this example, and he starts in verse 5, and he goes through 11 to give us an example of what it means, the ultimate picture of being humbled. He says, "Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus." I want to stop for just one second here. There, have you noticed he's uses the word he's used the word mind like four or five times already in this passage? Notice he's not saying just go do 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 do. He's saying the way that this is going to happen is if you stop being so concerned with do and start being concerned with changing what's going on up here, you need to adjust your mindset. It isn't... He doesn't say in verse 5, imitate all the things that Jesus did. He says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So, replace the mind that you have with the mind that Christ had. By the way, if we replace our mindset, it's going to impact the things that we do. The things that we do are going to be changed. A lot of times as believers, I think we struggle. The reason I think we struggle is because we hear something and we try to go do, but we haven't changed our mind. And because we haven't changed our mind about something, we can't do the way we think we should be able to. I hope that sentence made sense. We struggle to do because our minds haven't been changed the right way. So we haven't aligned our mind with Jesus Christ, and because of that, we'll do for a little bit, and then after a while, we just stop doing. Because it's difficult, it's annoying, it doesn't seem to work out, I don't like it, I'm getting no joy, it's not bringing peace into my life, so I'm going to stop doing. We have the whole thing backwards. The doing doesn't come first. The changing of the mind comes first. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it shows us what Jesus did because the mind of the mind that he had. And there is so much stuff in the next couple of verses. I don't even... Come close to having time to unpack it. But I just want you to hear the things that Jesus did because of the mind that he had and the way that he humbled himself. Because really, here he is being given as an example of humility. That we are supposed to have the mind to do the same thing. Who, being in the very form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So basically, he was God but didn't feel, because of you, because he loved us, he didn't feel that he needed to grasp onto and hold onto his position in heaven and stay up there. He's not sitting at the right hand of God, holding onto the leg of the throne, while God the Father is kicking him down to earth. That's what this verse is saying. He's not... But God, I'm supposed to be here. I am you too. I, I am God. Don't make me go. That's not what's happening. He humbled himself. He made himself, verse 7, it says, but he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. That verse is filled with stuff. Honestly, the phrase, taking, uh, uh, made himself of no reputation is really the concept that he emptied himself. The concept of what's known as the kenosis. Emptied himself does not mean that he emptied himself of deity. He did not become less God to become man. He is still completely God as he becomes man. But what he did do was he willingly limited himself. He willingly allowed Himself to not sit in the glory that is heaven and was willing to come here to this earth. He willingly placed Himself into human form, which as we read, we're going to see that He did. He willingly accepted and put some limitations on Himself as He lived here in this earth. He goes. It says he made himself no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. So here, just the very fact that he's willing to become a man was humbling. I don't think we get how, humbled, how humbling that is because we are people. And in order for that to be humbling to Jesus, that means we must be lower than a lot of us think we are. Like, I can't even really come up with a good, like, analogy to to create the separation between us and God and how much He humbled Himself. You know, I I, I thought about or I read about the idea that, you know, maybe, maybe if for some reason I needed to communicate with an ant so I had in some ability to become an ant to be able to communicate with the ants, and then as a human to think about how humbling that would be for a human being to say I'm going to become this tiny little ant but that picture in and of itself doesn't do justice to what God did to come from the throne in heaven to become a human being and I'm sorry if that hurts your pride a little bit. But it's the truth. And He humbled Himself. And He did it as an example for us because He loved us. It says that He humbled uh, he humbled Himself in verse 8 and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. So not only does He humble Himself in removing Himself from heaven and coming and taking on the form of a man, but then He humbles himself in his willingness to die for us. What an example he is. And he didn't just die like simple, basic, get old, pass away type thing. But he humbles himself to the point that he he dies the worst death that we could imagine, that we could create, that mankind could put together. we must understand that God has equipped us to live the Christian life that we ought to. And in equipping us, He gave us the example of Jesus Christ of how humility is supposed to look. By the way, He did all of these things that I just said about Him humbling Himself. And in each one of them, at no point does He say, yes, but what about me? But I would like... Or, how am I going to get what I deserve? Because his thought wasn't there. His thought was on us. That's, That's the definition of humility. Definition of humility in that I'm not thinking of myself, I'm thinking of others. The great thing that we see about Jesus here is that God the Father then steps in, and in verse 9 we see that it doesn't remain this way, but then God the Father steps in and says, Therefore God also has highly exalted Him, Jesus, and given Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He humbles Himself as an example for us so that we can have an example and live the Christian life the way we've been equipped to live it for His glory, in humility, thinking of others and being united for the same purpose. And then Jesus is exalted. By the way, if I live the Christian life the way I've been designed and equipped to, my life will exalt Jesus Christ my life is going to then lift Him up. Because others will be able to look at me and not see me, but they will see Christ through the way that I've lived. This morning, we want to take an opportunity to worship God through the concept of communion. And so I'm going to pray, and then Pastor Billy is going to come and lead us through that.